Yes. Can we begin? Yeah. What did we say last time? Uh, we talked generally about studying the Bible and all the problems that we have in studying the Bible. We also talked about the idea that the Bible is a kind of text which is uh, a kind of conglomerate of the uh, uh, the Talmud and the Pentateuch, right? Yeah, so that's uh, what you have, the different kinds of books of the Jews, right? We're talking about the Old Testament, yeah? And we're also talking about the idea that a man called Jerome is supposed to have put these books together and uh, that's how you get the Bible in its form, right? Now, we also talked about something that we do in literature, we're talking about history and we're talking about myth, right? So we constantly have the idea of is this history, is this myth? And the idea is to say, well, some people actually believe that this is true. And of course, some of the evidence, we don't have anything else but textual evidence, right? Uh, of course, there are archaeological surveys and I have a Reader's Digest Bible which is talking about different periods of time and different archaeological surveys about the place, the places that are talked about in the Bible, right? So we're talking about a lot of time and we're talking about something called the Dead Sea Scrolls, that is recent archaeological evidence where people put a lot of their scrolls because that's the way uh, the parchment and the scroll was what was written on. So they put all those kind of things and they put them in these huge stone jars and they put them in the Dead Sea, right? Yeah, and uh, that's when you find them today and people look at them together, right? Now, uh, yeah, any, any questions on any of these things? Somebody had put up a very interesting uh, article about how do you read the Bible and all those kind of things, right? Yeah, so what is important is uh, how do you read a Bible as a literary text? That's one. And we're talking about Wycliffe's Bible because this is the first kind of English Bible and the first kind of Bible in translation which actually spurs a kind of a revolutionary mode to challenge religion as it is and get new forms of religion which becomes a very successful enterprise not immediately but uh, after a long period of time, right? So what begins, of course, becomes Martin Luther's kind of Bible, right? Which is something that changes and Martin Luther calls for that kind of a political prote protest within religion, changing religion uh, thoroughly and totally, right? And of course, without the printing machine, uh, uh, would we have the Bible and all that kind of thing that Martin Luther wanted, right? So that's a question that we need to ask, right? Though the idea of uh, whitelist Bible, etc. is probably when printing was not even available, right? But the idea of uh, having a Bible in the first place and having a Bible in a, a, a kind of a modern language or a local language, right, is something that was uh, unthought of because the first Bible which we had in the world was a Bible that was composed or put together by a man 
called uh, uh, yeah, uh, the, a man called uh, Saint Jerome, right? Yeah. So he's the person who puts it together, and we talked about how last time you had the Greek Bible and you had the Hebrew Bible, right? And this man called Jerome makes strips between Palestine and Egypt, right? Because the Greeks or the Hellenized Jews had a Greek Bible, right? And the Palestinians had a Hebrew Bible or Aramaic Bible, or uh, we don't, I don't really know, uh, different kinds of languages that existed. And they had the Bible in all those languages, right? I think we said last time that you have to hear, learn about 36 or 39 different languages if you have to study the Old Testament, right? Yeah, and of course, uh, yeah, we'll talk about all that kind of thing that is there. And you, when uh, after that, uh, and when you have Wycliffe's Bible, there's only the Catholic Church. Of course, there is another element of the Church that is called the Orthodox Church, right? The Greek Orthodox Church, and then you have the Russian Orthodox Church. Now, these people are not actually divided from the Roman Catholic Church at all because uh, and Chaucer's England is a Roman Catholic England of course yeah because they don't have any kind of schism or schism whatever you want to call it schism yeah yeah schism is this idea of a break in the religion right yeah so that's something else uh, which is important to talk about and uh, so when we're talking about the history of the book yeah uh, yeah, and in fact, I had actually planned to read my paper out and I'll do that uh, maybe next time. But we'll just uh, talk about the book uh, today, right? And the idea of uh, the making of the Bible is one thing. The idea of uh, the conflicts that are around the Bible as a text becomes an important issue, right? And that's an issue which comes up much later. And the idea of translation becomes important. And the idea that this person called uh, uh, Wycliffe, right, is the one who uh, gets a lot of statements uh, and he asks people because he knows religion, he knows theology, he studied the Bible, he does all these kind of things. He's in full command of the religious law and is full in full command of what is called the politics of religion, right? And he is the one who tells people not to pay the taxes that the church is trying to impose and don't donate to the church, etc., etc., which is probably a good thing because the church is actually doing, going into excess, right? Yeah, and of course, uh, that's not a very comfortable position to white right? Now, besides all this, and maybe if we need to uh, come back, we'll talk about uh, the, so when you're talking about the Bible, it's a very troublesome kind of history. It has a very troublesome kind of history. It's not a history where everybody is very happy about writing the book, right? And even today, a lot of books from the Old Testament are removed by people who belong to the Protestant religion, right? Yeah, or uh, people have become Protestants, right? So some of the books are not there because the, the books go against what distinct kind of part uh, or the distinct kind of formation that is called the Protestant 
different kind of products informations. They remove Maccabees. They remove a lot of the books that are there in the Old Testament. Right? By and large, uh, uh, the New Testament, uh, that is the Bible after the coming of Christ, is not changed at all. Right? Yeah. So that's what uh, many people believe that the New Testament is not changed, but the Old Testament, a lot of books are not used because they would go against the beliefs of people who are practicing their kind of Protestantism, right? Yeah, so that's the one, uh, that's important. And I think we had talked about Lawrence and the Bible, and Lawrence says the Bible is a wonderful book because it's a, like a novel, right? And he has his, his take on the Bible, and he says that it's the best sex book that one can ever get in history, right? So that's another different kind of way of looking at what is going on, right? So you look at it, and you say that it's a novel, it's a sex book, it tells you everything about sex, and novel said, uh, and uh, Lauren says, well, this is a kind of a book which is interesting, because it's an interesting novel, it has love, it has death, it has murder, it has rape, it has all the things that you can get in an interesting novel. Right? Yeah, of course, for the religious people, that might not even be interesting, or it might be uh, what is called anathema, or it might be uh, a kind of an abuse, or a blasphemy of the idea of the Bible. Right? Yeah, and of course, Lawrence paid for it in other ways, not as blasphemy, but he paid for his own Lady Chatterley's lover by uh, getting a sentence and the courts and all coming. Yeah, and that's very, very unfortunate. And a lot of energy and time is spent over in uh, dealing with all the court cases, right? Not only that, yeah, it's as bad as the Indian police, right? Uh, the, the, uh, the English police confiscate a lot of Lawrence's paintings and he writes uh, he writes a poem in protest which is a very interesting poem and please read it it's called Merry England right yeah and he's painted some nudes and the police confiscate the painting because of that and he writes this poem Merry England because he says fig leaves don't grow in the land of the free yeah the fig leaf is what the it seems that Adam and Eve cover their nakedness with fig leaves, right? That's what the Bible says, right? But we don't have any evidence for that, right? Yeah, but that's the kind of story that you might have in the Bible. And many people actually believe that the Adam and Eve story is the real story, right? And we have all this thing called the Pecking Man and the Java Man and all these kind of archaeological finds which are actually pointing to the idea of the evolution uh, theory of Darwin, uh, uh, right? Yeah. So the idea is, uh, is the Bible true? Now people like to waste a lot of energy talking about Genesis, right? Talking about how God made the world in seven days and what is seven days and according to the Bible it's, it's seven days but actually it takes so many, so many centuries and that's, they said, let look, the Bible has put it right. Now I don't like all the stories and if it's a myth, it's a myth, right? Yeah, and I would like to believe that uh, a lot of the Adam and Eve story is a myth, right? It's a story, and not only I, but there's a, uh, a poet, an old poet laureate, not an old, uh, 
quite a modern one who is called uh, Ted Hughes. You might have read him, right? Uh, he's talking about the Bible and the idea of the story of creation being like any kind. He's an anthropologist and he's taken hundreds of religions with hundreds of stories about the origin of the world and the origin of the religion, right? And he's talking about different kinds of stories and he writes a very interesting poem in Crow, which is actually making fun of the book of Genesis, right? Yeah, and yeah, and he's using a lot of Freudian elements, so please read the poem. It's called Apple Tragedy, right? Apple Tragedy. First of all, the Bible doesn't say that Adam ate the apple, right? Yeah, it's a fruit. I don't know how people have come to the conclusion that uh, it's called uh, an apple, right? Yeah, so uh, that's why he calls it apple tragedy. Many people like to think that uh, Adam ate the apple, which Eve asked him to eat, right? And the tree is called the tree of knowledge of good and evil and all that kind of thing. Now, these are very symbolic. And today, uh, even when we talk about Foucault, we're talking about knowledge and power, and we go back to the Bible and we say, well, we're looking at the first New Testament, we are looking at the first story in the Bible, that's the story of Genesis, and the story of Genesis is about the idea of knowledge and power, right? And you can have a Foucauldian reading of the Bible, like you can have a Marxist reading of the Bible, and look at how it works, or you can have a historical reading of the Bible, and you can see that the historical reading of the Bible, some of it you might like to do culture studies and talk about the culture and then you might come to understand all that because a lot of the a lot of the stuff or the lot of the ideas about religion are not in a book right though many people think that the bible is the only thing that people go by and some uh, people who are very staunch people and probably very dogmatic go by the word the bible and the Bible is the word of God and all those kind of things, right? Yeah. And of course, I do, I'm not fiddling with their faith, but uh, a lot of irrationality also comes from there, right? And we're not talking about time. We're not talking about metaphor. We're not talking about all these things which are very important when we talk about reading the Bible as a text. Whether you read it as a religious text or not a religious text, we have to deal with the idea of metaphor and language, right? Uh, an example, for instance, uh, in the New Testament, you have the story of Christ telling a summary that uh, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than uh, a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Right? Now, people actually think that he's talking about a camel passing through this eye of a needle which you sew your clothes with, right? But actually, the eye of the needle is a pass, a very difficult mountain pass in Palestine, right? And the camels would have a problem passing through it because the camels are huge animals, right? Yeah, and that's exactly why he uses that term. Now, when you're talking about the Bible, many people without the context are reading the Bible, right? And that is important uh, because uh, when we're talking about the Bible, it's not that Christ was a white man and all those people are white. They're not white, yeah? They're black, brown, and uh, uh, 
wheat colored people like many of us in India, right? Yeah, so, uh, and of course there are a lot of black Jews, uh, so you might uh, wonder how Christ is white. Now this is something that happens after Europe, uh, the Europeans uh, actually appropriate Christianity for their own, right? So what is a problem uh, over here is Moses is not a white man and you can see the, the you can see the movie the Ten Commandments, right? Which is a long four hour, three hour or four hour movie, right? But it's quite well made. Uh, yeah, it's it's made by Cecil B. DeMille and even the Exodus, etc. are very interesting to see. And of course, there are a lot of other historical elements which uh, are not, and there's the a love plot, etc. which are not part of the Bible per se. And maybe that's a kind of a mythical kind of reading of the Bible and a portrayal of a Bible, the Bible, right? So you have nefertiti and you have all those kind of things, yeah? And they've gone into Egyptian culture because there's a lot of what you call Egyptology and they talk about uh, the, uh, the Nile god and the, they don't talk about poor Metexi, uh, Metexi or uh, the cat god, I don't know what the cat god is. Right? The Egyptians were very fond of cats and they had a cat god, right? And all those kind of things, right? But what happens is that you have the idea of uh, the Exodus, uh, which is uh, portrayed in, uh, in Cecil Dimmel's The Ten Commandments, right? And that's an interesting kind of a text uh, that is talking about the Exodus, right? So, when we're talking about the Exodus, first of all, we have the first translation of the Bible, which is Wycliffe's translation, right? And that's the one we're going to consult, right? Uh, of course, after Wycliffe, and after you have the, uh, the, uh, the Reformation, which is led by Martin Luther in the 15th century, right? And Martin Luther, one of the demands Martin Luther has is that the Bible should be written in uh, the vernacular language or the vernacular languages, right? Which is a very, very important demand and it goes back to Wycliffe and it comes down to our present day where you have the Bible being translated into many, many different languages. Yeah? So one of the things, and as literature students and as translation theory people, we might like to look at the Bible and look at the different kinds of translations that you have, right? Yeah, and what is missing in one translation and what is added on in another and what uh, a non-scholarly translation can do and then you have modern English versions of the Bible and you might have modern Marathi versions of the Bible or Gujarati versions of the Bible. Of course, there is a press in Calcutta. Uh, uh, it's called the Serampur Press, right? Which is probably the, one of the oldest presses uh, in the country, uh, of course. The oldest press is in Goa, that is, and it's used by a man called Thomas Stevens, who writes, uh, who writes something called the Christopurana, because and it's in a language called Konkani, right? And that's the first printing press that we have in India, right? Uh, yeah, and the first kind of manuscript that we have, right? Otherwise, uh, and it's not about printing the Bible at all, because these are Roman Catholics, and the Roman Catholics. Uh, like in the days of Chaucer, uh, don't really uh, believe in printing the Bible. Uh, the Bible is not yet translated. 
the Bible is Latin and they read the Bible in Latin. The priests study Latin and everything is in Latin, right? The, the religious service is in Latin and you are the wife of Bath having a, a religious ceremony of a marriage outside the church and inside the church and we all know that story, right? I think I've mentioned it in our times and the idea is that we have this kind of a uh, dichotomy between the priest and the people. The language of power is the language of Latin, but not so much because the empire, the Roman, the Holy Roman Empire slowly fades away and uh, it, it continues right up to the time of Napoleon Bonaparte in the 19th century, right? And that's actually it's over there where Napoleon Bonaparte uh, uh, restricts the Holy Roman Empire to the Vatican City, right? And that's when the collapse of total power of the church happens, which is a good thing, right? Because religion and politics should never be mixed together, right? Yeah, they're still considered as uh, the Vatican State, right? And they have uh, people who are running the state politically and you also have the idea of the church, right? So you might like to look at all these kind of things which are not really related to the Bible but are associated with it, right? And of course, uh, I think, uh, are there any questions that you have to ask? Then uh, we'll deal with them, right? And then we can begin, right? And we'll talk about Exodus a little more, right? Yeah. Right, so uh, any questions, please? Ask your questions. Yeah. Yeah, please ask your questions. Yes. No questions. No curiosity. No contradictions. Yeah. No contradictions, no curiosity, nothing about it. Sir? Yes. Yeah, so sir, you said uh, something about that uh, condition form. What is the book about? Pardon? Uh, sir, you said something about that uh, condition form. Poem, which poem? Condition form, something. From? I don't remember you said that uh, a poem is a petition, something it was about that. I need to know which poem that was. Petition? I can't yeah. get it. Petition? Yeah. No. Okay, then maybe I would have gotten it wrong. No, no, no. There's a poem that is written by Ted Hughes in The Crow. Yeah, okay. The Crow is a book that he writes and he is an anthropologist right yeah so he's looking at the world from an anthropological form of uh, point of view right and his story of creation is a story of many different kinds of creation right he's talking about gaia the earth mother and all those kind of things which yeah. are taken from anthropology right yeah and uh, so you have uh, uh, the crow story of creation that's one and you have another poem which is part of this long book of poems called the crow please read it because Ted Hughes is a good poet 
राइट इट्स कॉल्ड एप्पल ट्रेजिडी राइट या एप्पल ट्रेजिडी एंड इट्स पोस्ट फ्रॉइडियन राइट सो ही सेइंग दैट ईव ओपन हर लेग्स वाइड okay and the and the devil gave her a wild time right so that's all the sexual elements from the freudian kind of reading of the text right so that's one and he's taking up different kinds of creation stories from different kinds of uh, religions and putting them down together and uh, actually uh, making a lot of fun uh, you might say that it's satire you might call it fun uh and he is actually giving you alternative kinds of stories about the bible right and about the creation myth yeah and I'm, i'm sorry i didn't get your name and i can't see it either right so uh if you yeah yeah fine okay yeah great yeah and that's that's a good that's a good start yeah okay so what's interesting and what's important is uh some people take the bible very reverentially right some people say well let's look at it anthropologically some look at it from a freudian point of view right some look at it from a marxist point of view right so you get different kinds of reading of a text right for some it's a religious text and for them every word of the bible is true and it's a word of god etc etc right for some people it's not and that's what the freedom that they have to choose which kind of reading to give a text right yeah so that's something uh, that maybe uh, at the present phase in which we are in india right uh, we don't want to have all this kind of textual scholarship and this critical awareness of a text right we know that uh, india is going back into the medieval ages right and we're taking text as seriously as possible and we are not taking the fact that texts are written by people right yeah and we have this issue with christianity we have this with judaism we have this with islam we have this with uh, so called hinduism right yeah and many people don't want to look at the text and the context and the idea of translation and all the multiplicity of the text etc right now these are issues that are very important and if you are a scripture scholar uh and i'm not a scripture scholar and i don't know whether i have a right to teach all these texts yeah because a scripture scholar will look at all the other religions that are existing at the same time and talk about all this stuff right yeah from an anthropological and archaeological point of view and anthropological point of view and all those things are important right because i like to believe that i'm a modern person right yeah and uh as a modern person we have to be open to all kinds of ways of reading right we can't say only this way of reading is right yeah so you have some people giving you a very conservative reading some people giving you a very optimistic kind of reading like you have the marxist reading the bible and they're talking about god is on the side of the poor in the old testament and in the new testament right and that's again a very important kind of a revolutionary point of view because many of the people do not like reading that right yeah because when you say that god is on the side of the poor and god in the bible is on the side of the poor there is no mistake about that right yeah and for many people marx actually is a kind of a prophet where you have many prophets in the bible right yeah so marx is actually 
a Jewish prophet, right? Uh, I don't know whether Marx would like that idea, right? But he's a kind of a prophet who's actually taking the Bible forward, right? So that's one kind of way of reading the Bible, right? Yeah, and many people actually get very angry about that. And you have all the religious bigots all over the world, whether it's Christianity or Hinduism or Islam or Judaism, you, all those people are all going to be around, right? So that's a given and taken for granted. Yeah. Yes. So, what you said that I don't know much about Bible and I haven't read English literature in this semester in a very proper manner because of some some stuff that I have been going through. But you indicated that God within the side of the world at that from a Marxist point of view. Yeah. Is that from Marxist point of view given the edge to the purity? Pardon, I didn't get you. From the Marxist point of view, you said that from the Marxist point of view, the Bible says that the God is the side of the poor. Yes. Yeah. So then, according to the Marxist, doesn't that literally give an edge to the proletariat revolution? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You're absolutely right over there. Right? Yeah. So the idea is, uh, especially when we're talking about the Exodus. Okay. You have one section of people saying that look. The Bible is a slave text, right? And it's written. The first person to might ha- might have been no proof actually, right? It's uh, I don't know if there's any proof uh, about this man called Moses, right? Yeah, uh, but there was somebody called by that name. Perhaps there was somebody called that uh, by that name, right? Yeah. And what is interesting is uh, this is a person who actually. Uh, begins putting down the ideas of the Bible, right? Yeah, and of course the problems are very important, right? Like for instance, when you come to the Romantic Age, you have a man called Wordsworth who goes around the place, right? And he writes a poem called "Solitary Reaper." I don't know if you've read that poem, right? Yeah, he's talking about this woman, and he's talking about her singing in the field on yon solitary highland lass, and he doesn't understand the language. Right? Yeah. And what is she saying? I don't know because I speak English and I don't speak Scottish. That's what he's trying to say. Right? And look at where uh, uh, Wordsworth is located. He is located at the north of England, which borders Scotland. Right? Yeah. Okay. So that is something that you might like to think about. Right? Because of course, by the time Wordsworth, Scotland and England were already. Amalgamated under uh, uh, James the First, right? Yeah, but uh, he's all. There's also colonization which is taking place, right? So they've heard about a language called Konkani. They've heard about hundreds of African languages, many Indian languages. They've gone to the Middle East, right? And they've heard of many kinds of languages other than ancient Hebrew and modern Hebrew and uh, Greek and uh, Latin. And okay, so the, all those kind of uh, ideas already there, right? Yeah. So you're talking about the idea of what happens to other languages. How do we talk about our language? All those issues come up, but that also comes up again when we in all religions that comes up, and we have myths about how language is created in all religions, right? Yeah, uh, which is interesting because human beings are confronting the idea of. Where does language come from, right? Okay, 
uh, and that's a question that we don't know right yeah so today of course if you are a linguistic student you say that well human beings have this uh, difference aristotle is the one who says human beings are higher than animals because they have language yep so the only thing that separates us from all the non linguistic animals or the pre linguistic animals i don't know what you call them right yeah is that we have language and we say that language is something that the human being has right now does language come first or the human being come first yeah so that's a question which many people would like to ask and that's a linguistic question and a historical question which comes first the human being or language right yeah and you have people who say well it's not the human being who speaks language but language which speaks the human being right yeah which is different yeah so you you say i speak language no i don't speak language language speaks me right so language is before me larger than me huge and i am just one of the examples of it right yeah so you have that kind of issue but the idea is that you have a story in the bible called the tower of babel which is trying to explain how people have different languages and it says over there that these people try to build a tower to go to heaven because in the bible uh, heaven is above uh, hell is below and earth is in the middle right yeah so how do they come to that kind of geography i don't know right and that's again a problem uh, which all of us have because if you're talking about heaven is up and the, uh, hell is below and the earth is over here then where is heaven how do i go to heaven right how what happens to the bodies of people who go to heaven or what happens to the souls that go to heaven what happens to the souls that go to hell right uh, what is there a heaven and a hell in the first place right all those kind of issues are not really biblical issues they are theological issues which are dealt with by scripture scholars right yeah so i think uh, uh that is a question and if you have more questions please ask them because then we'll get into exodus yeah yeah so these are issues so you have the story of the tower of babel right and the idea is we're talking about many languages and the bible in gives you a simple explanation of all that people have become so proud because they they actually learned to build a tower and the tower is going right up in the sky into the heavens right and they try to uh build a bridge the tower is going to go up and reach the heavens that's the story of course right and a very convincing story and many people believe it to be absolutely so right and the problem of course is that we're talking about the idea of how does language come about right which is a problem which different religions answer in dif- different kinds of stories right so you have somebody saying i made da 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 and all that kind of thing yeah and that's when language comes up right so different cultures have different ways of talking about the origin of language right okay so that's one bit right but of course when you have the old testament in the bible it's talking about the jews right and the idea is if the story is true then moses is the one who initiated writing the bible then the exodus becomes an important bit from which you write about the bible right yeah and we're talking about it we're talking about the history or the uh, the history of genealogy 
who was the son of whom and all that kind of things which you will find also in the new testament saying that christ has a direct lineage to abraham and he is a son of abraham isaac jacob uh david and the whole genealogy is written down right now uh, can any of us trace our genealogy to adam and eve yeah if you are going to say who's our father grandfather great grandfather great grandfather how far away will we go in time to say because adam and eve are called the first parents of the human race in the bible right yeah now different uh, religions might have different ways of talking about who is the how the origin of the human being come in how did the origin of the world come in, right now that is dealt with the bible in a book called the exodus the 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 genesis right how is the world made how do human beings made how are plants and animals made all that is explained to you in one book right very interestingly which is called the genesis right yeah now the okay and the genesis is actually also talking about the idea of the jews right and that's when you have the idea of the conflation of history myth uh, practice custom religious customs all those kind of things come together over there right and uh, i said we don't know very much about all that and a biblical scholar has to find out about the culture which is not in the text okay because the text is only one part one part of talking about a culture right so of course what is there in the text is interesting right and is very important right and is the idea if you talk about the jews today the jews are one of the people who have documented things for centuries right and that's what's great about them yeah they've actually documented uh, and that comes from them and it's a very important historical record they've documented whatever is happening to them and uh, they've kept a lot of records right and if other communities did that then they would have this long kind of tradition right and the jews are also a people who are talking about tradition right and tradition is very very important for them because when you talk about a tradition you're you're harkening back to the tradition and you're also becoming very conservative right so that's one of the things that happen and there are constant conflicts among the jews even today because one branch of them will be very conservative and one branch of them will be very liberal and modern and all those kind of things right yeah and that's not new sir, yes sir are you said about those stories of jacob and isaac and everything yes so i have read uh, the story between the people and the angel archangel something like that Are you familiar with that story, Jacob and the angel, where the angel was supposed to be the god who takes the ground on his shoulder? It takes the. Take. Uh, I mean, the story was basically the plot of that story was that Jacob had his brother, whom he had betrayed. Yes, not so betrayed. No, not betrayed. Uh, it's taken as a kind of a, a kind of uh, Jacob is a mama's boy, right? <laughs> yeah. and uh he's the younger son and the mother is fond of him right and she asks for isaac's when isaac is giving his blessing right so he has uh uh 
So Isaac and Jacob, right? Yeah. Yeah, so not Isaac. What is the name of the, the father? Jacob. No. Isaac and Jacob, what's the... Yeah, it's Isaac. Yeah, Isaac is the father, right? Yeah, and what is his brother's name? Esau, right? So Jacob's, yeah. uh, Jacob's brother is Esau, who is the hunter, right? And Jacob is a farmer, right? Yeah, so, uh, the, so that's interesting. And you might like to draw uh, a parallel between the idea of the hunter-gatherer, right? And the idea of what, uh, 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 not what kind what's his name? Uh, mm, I've forgotten the name of the guy, the person who writes the third wave. I'm sorry, I've forgotten the name. The, history, the, what? the third wave, the third wave. Uh, I'll get you in there. Yeah, he's a historian. Uh, Toynbee is one, not Toynbee. Uh, what is his name? Third wave by Shit. No, I'll just get the name. I'll get you the name. He'll come back to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What's interesting about it is uh, he's talking about the we are talking about the hunter-gatherer, right? And that's a normal kind of archaeological genesis of the human being, right? When human beings are at one stage hunter-gatherers, right? So they hunt and they gather, right? And that's uh, till quite recently, right? Yeah. That's the first wave. The second wave is a wave where you have people settling down and that's happened thousands and thousands of years ago, right? When people start uh, cultivating the land, right? The whole idea of agricultural product produce is the second wave, right? And the third wave is the industrial revolution, right? And uh, is almost going to the digital age, right? Yeah, so you can, uh, you can look it up, right? Uh, yeah, and you can read it, right? Uh, yeah, you can Google the word. Uh, you'll get the, the name of the guy also. Uh, not trivial name. It's uh, anyhow, whatever his name is, right? What is interesting is uh, uh, we are talking about Esau and Jacob, right? So one is a hunter, and one is a person who is a farmer, right? And one gives. Uh, so uh, that's when the deception kind of takes place, right, or, uh, yeah, the deception of Isaac actually, right. But, but, but uh, the thing is that they had to offer, they had to offer God something, yeah. and the hunter-gatherer, uh, Esau, uh, gave him some, uh, some of the offerings which was the animals and the farmer guy, is uh, Jacob, yeah. gave him wheat or something. So, according to the gods, uh, I don't know how to uh, say this. It's like, you know, the God was a little tempted towards Esau. Yeah. So, so the, the thing I'm saying is that Jacob's anger, even though God was tempted towards Esau, Jacob's anger gets down on God's shoulders in there. Yeah, but anger and all that, that's a different story, right? So it goes on to God's shoulders. Or uh, The idea is, of course, that when you're talking about the history of the Jews, They'll talk about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? And he saw already forgotten. Yeah. 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 So, but no, no, no. What, what is interesting about the story is this is the story of all humankind, right? When you yeah. read, when you read Hamlet, right? 
Hamlet in the graveyard scene is actually talking about this, right? Yeah, he's talking about his own story. That is, his father has been murdered by his uh, uncle, right? Yeah, so that's the story that Hamlet is talking about. And he's tracing it back to Cain and Abel in the Bible, right? So Esau and Jacob is a kind of a variation on Cain and Abel, but actually that is from real life that people have it. Right? Yeah? You see that happening in all families today, right? Where you have uh, the brothers fighting with each other about property or inheritance or anything of the sort. Right? Yeah? So if you look at it from a very, very pragmatic view, yeah, what you see about society, you get it into a nice kind of story about Esau and Jacob, about Cain and Abel, and you have this idea, and that's why perhaps Lawrence is talking about the Bible as a great novel, right? Yeah, you get deception, you get uh, uh, favoritism, nepotism, uh, you get people disliking each other, people murdering each other, people running away, okay, which you get in a novel. Yes, come on. Yeah, so sir, what I was saying is that Bible, uh, the the few stories that I read about it, it, it has this stuff about brotherhood and violence stuffed in that same story. Yes. So we have this story of uh, 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 Jacob and Ethan, we have this other story of Cain and Abel. Yes. So why is it like, the thing is that even if uh, at the end of these stories, the God is supposed to, is, uh, is looked at as the good guy and who is. But when we take that traditional God to the religion, it gets totally inverse because religion becomes a structural and it starts oppressing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it becomes so then who's the one who's going to call out that main process where it indicts the purpose gets flipped yeah. in a one second? Yeah. So the idea is this is what you call, this is what the tradition accepts. No? The tradition accepts that this idea is uh, Jacob is running away and then he sleeps on a stone and that's when he has his dream, right? Yeah, and he finds that the angels are walking up and down and that's called Jacob's ladder, right? Yeah, that's a dream of course and the Bible actually uh, takes dreams very seriously like many other cultures, right? Yeah, the Indian culture, the Greek culture, the biblical culture, they take dreams very seriously, right? And even the Babylonian culture takes dreams uh, very seriously, right? The Babylonian culture is a place where you get this man, Saddam Hussein, right? Uh, in the Bible, you have a person called Nebuchadnezzar, right? Yeah, and he is a kind of a king, and he is the one who puts Daniel into the lion's den, right? Yeah, and Daniel is the one who tells him about his dream and explains his dream to him, right? So, one thing is, there are a lot of interesting myths, right? Like, for instance, you have the dreams which are in the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? You have Jacob the dreamer, you have Daniel and the dream and the interpreter of dreams. Uh, yeah, so you get, uh, you have J uh, Joseph in the New Testament who's talking about dreams. So all these things are very interesting, which we're still dealing with when we talk about Freudian analysis and things of that sort, right? Yeah, and if you take Jung, then we're talking about the left brain and the right brain and we're talking about how these brains are talking to each other and how dreams occur and what happens to them. And the idea is that people have uh, talked about dreams for a long, long period of time. Yeah? And what is a dream and what is a reality? What happens to the mind? The Indian kind of thing. 
right? What happens to the mind when we go to sleep? Where does the mind go? Where does the body go? Where does the soul go? All those kind of questions come. Yeah. So the Bible is trying to deal with different things at the same time. Yeah. One is it's trying to deal with the history, right? And it's trying to say the well you go and we come from Cain and Abel, right? Adam and Eve are the first parents, and we've got people over here, right? But you also get uh, other versions of the Bible where you're talking about the first wife of Adam was Lilith, right? Now all those kind of things happen when you read a book like uh, Doctor Faustus uh, or Goethe's Faust, right? Now Doctor Faustus, that's by Marlowe. Uh, you read Goethe's Faust, and in Goethe's Faust, uh, you have uh, he's uh, writing a romantic kind of Doctor Faustus, and you have the uh, the story of this the scene where you have the broken mountains. Okay, and this is typical German stuff, right? You actually have German folklore over there. You have the witches' Sabbath, right, on uh, May thirty-first, right, and that's in the Brocken Mountains. And uh, you have the celebration which is going on, and the witches and fairies come together. Those are not biblical creatures. This is German mythology, right? And you actually have uh, Lilith, who's the first wife of Adam, and a mouse. Jumps out of his mouth, right? Now that's Goethe's Faust, right? Yep. So uh, there's some non-mainstream kind of mythology which is also going on, which is called the apocryphal, right? So you might have a Bible which give you apocryphal texts, right? Which is not what is uh, authorized by the church or yeah or any of the authorities, and they, but they are still. Stories which exist around the place, right? So you have apocryphal versions, and you have uh, the authentic version, or what is deemed to be authentic, or what is got the imprimatur of the scholar and the bishop and the pope and all that kind of thing, right? Imprimatur is a seal, right? Yeah. So uh, yeah. So there are a lot of complicated things, and it's good that you ask questions because that's how we learn, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, when we're talking about this, we are actually talking about this idea to say, what is the purpose of talking about Cain and Abel, uh, Jacob and Esau, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? What is the purpose of it? One is it's actually talking about the faith of the people, right? How do you keep people together, right? So you say that we are the chosen people, right? God has chosen us, right? All religions would say that, right? Yeah, yes or no, right? We all like to think that our religion is better than your religion, right? Yeah, and everybody would like to say the same thing, right? And that's exactly what they're saying when they say we are a chosen people, right? And they give it this story of God saying that we are the chosen people, right? So God tells Abraham, okay, and Abraham believes that, oh. All these kind of stories that are very interesting and very important, but the idea of the faith that uh, they actually believe in all this and that faith experience, along with the historical, is something which is interesting in looking at, right? Yeah, uh, I'm not saying that it's true. I'm not saying it's false, right? Yeah, but the the idea is what happens to faith, right? What happens to this historical notion that we can trace our lineage back to Adam and Eve, right? Which, of course, practically and logically, 
there too many people around the place to ever have to go over there, right? But when you take Indians, Indian texts which talk about people living for a long, long time, which the Bible also does, right? So most most religions have all these kinds of stories which today you might not believe, right? Some so many a person has hundreds of wives and hundreds of children, and you begin to wonder how is that possible, right? How can all these things happen, right? But that's the language in which they write to say there's something very, very old, right? So that's a story. That's the stories that we have, right? So you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Abraham is actually when you talk about the Arabs and the Jews, right? You go back to the story of Abraham and the idea of Ishmael, right? And the idea that Sarah uh, cannot bear a child, and God gets. Uh, uh, her child and she's uh, quite uh, in an old age of uh, life, right? And all those kind of things. So you're, you're actually talking about the idea of the human growth cycle and the human life cycle and the reproductive cycle, right? And you're talking about uh, divine intervention over there, right? Yeah, which many people might like to believe. Or, uh, of course, if we have our prime minister, you might say, well, they had already, they had in vitro fertilization and all that kind of thing. And if you ask him to read the Bible, we'll have a more interesting Bible than is there, right? We say, well, there was a stem cell research at that point of time, and that's how uh, Sarah got pregnant, and that's how you had Isaac, right? Yeah? Uh, so you might have all that kind of thing, right? Is like, it's like didactic materialism, I am, and therefore I think, or there I speak. Uh, uh, is that didactic materialism, right? I think, therefore I am. Yeah, I am, and therefore I think, I speak. Uh, is that didactic materialism? I don't know, right? Yeah, uh, so the idea of, the idea of, uh, the, uh, the idea of the dialectical materialism is something that we're talking about when we talk about Marxist theory, right? Uh, I think uh, that's, uh, yeah, so that's, Bhargavi is the person who asked the question, right? Yeah, so we're talking about the idea of, uh, uh, the idea of uh, Hegel's dialectic, right? And we're talking about Marx using Hegel's dialectic and getting out all those kind of things, right? Anyway, we're not getting into all that, right? We're actually talking about, one, the Bible is supposed to be history, right? It's supposed to be a record. It's supposed to be a faith experience, right? Uh, which you will get in the in the Exodus, right? Yeah. It's also a faith experience uh, when you're talking about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, right? And uh, you have a modern 20th century philosopher uh, called uh, Kierkegaard, Soren Kierkegaard, right? Who's talking about Christians and he's talking about Christians should always be in fear and trembling. Yeah, he's the first kind of Christian existential philosopher. And he's talking about the idea of uh, when Isaac takes, Isaac uh, is supposed to make a sacrifice to God. And God says, sacrifice your son. Right? Yeah. Okay. It's not Charvak which is talking. And the Charvak say, if sacrifice is so important, sacrifice your father. Right? That's Indian stuff, right? But over here, the Bible is talking about Isaac going to sacrifice his son 
because God tells him to sacrifice his son and God will provide and all those kind of things, right? And uh, when you're talking about that, so you have all these kind of uh, almost, if you look at it from the point of other cultures where, they where you have human sacrifice, okay, and perhaps they did have human sacrifice, right? Because we know about human beings all over the world, you have human sacrifice, right? It's not that it's not there, right? You have cannibalism in all cultures, including our own, right? We may not like to talk about it, but it's definitely present even in language, yeah, right? So you have all this uh, definitely there, right? Uh, so, uh, yeah, when we're talking about the Bible, I'm sorry, uh, it looks as if, and many people accuse me of being atheist, I'm not doing any of those things, right? And I'm not an atheist at all, right? But I like to think about how people think about religion, how people think about their culture, how people think about themselves, right? So when you look at the Bible from a sociological point of view, a historical point of view, an anthropological point of view, an archaeological point of view, and all these different kinds of points of views, right? The Marxist point of view, the sociologist point of view, the, uh, the psychosexual Freudian point of view, right? You can look at it from all these points of view, right? And that's how we have to look at every text in literature, if we can, right? Yeah, so we're talking about all these kind of movements, and you have feminism and the Bible, right? Uh, you have the gays reading the Bible, and uh, uh, writing uh, about their kind of experience with it, right? So you have different kinds of reading and I as a literature person and a literature student and teaching literature, right? I'm not supposed to foreclose any of the readings, right? Yeah, I'm not supposed to say, no, 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 gay reading is not allowed, Marxist reading is not allowed, this reading is not allowed. No, I can't do that, right? Yeah, uh, so the idea is the word called Catholicity, that is, being open to different kinds of points of view and having a Catholic taste. And the word Catholic doesn't mean the religion, right? It means having uh, an openness of different taste, right? Yeah, the being, uh, uh, the being atheist is someone's choice. It is supposed to be acceptable, isn't it? Yeah, yes, it is, right? And yeah, if I'm an atheist, I'll say I'm an atheist. I'm not an atheist, and I'm saying that I'm not, right? Yeah, yeah, and I don't have to say that also. Yep, so, uh, yeah, many people, the other day somebody gave, gave me some fish curry and rice and asked me, are you an atheist? Do you eat this? I said, I eat everything, yeah, but I'm not an atheist, right? Yeah, why do you think so, right? So he said, look, uh, because you're liberal, yeah. So I can be liberal and be a... I, I might be conservative and be an atheist. I might be liberal and being an atheist. I might be anything at all, right? Yeah. Or I might not know what I am because that's again a modern position, right? Yeah. So what do we say? Uh, yeah. So that's not even a question, right? We're not even talking about being atheist because whether you're atheist or not atheist, the Bible as a text still exists, right? The Bible as a faith experience still exists, right? We're talking about human beings and the Bible is also giving you some wisdom of how human beings behave, right? Now that's about all texts in every religion and every culture. Yeah, whether you take the Mahabharata, the Ramayana, the Greeks, okay, or with Metamorphoses or the Iliad and the Odyssey, right? All these texts are telling you about human beings. That's why we are interested in them, right? Yeah, and that's my position, right? 
whether I believe or I don't believe, I don't, I don't know how that's affecting this, right? Yeah, all of them are telling you that, look, this is what's important, right? Look at the human being, right? And this is the history of the human being. It might be the history of the Jews, but it's also telling you that this is the way 